KPFA and 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3.30. Stay tuned next for Cover to Cover Open Book. Welcome to Literary Dialogues with Dina Serrano. My guest today is D.L. Lang, the Poet Laureate of Vallejo, California. She has written ten books of poetry in just that many years and a marvelous Poet Laureate because she serves the poetry community of our region. Welcome, D.L. Lang. Thank you, Nina. It's wonderful to be here with you today. I'm so glad that you are and that you've brought your latest book, or one of your latest books, Wanderings. It's hard to say your latest book, because you're always popping up with another book. That's true. And you're now also working on an anthology. Yes, I'm trying to put together an anthology that features poets from Vallejo, California, talking about Vallejo, California, but it's not completely limited to that. I'm being open to who submits. Yes, and so much impacts Vallejo, California, including the environment, war and peace, all of it. Correct. So what poems have you brought for us today? I would like to read some poems that talk about my life through poetry and kind of show you my evolution as an artist. Marvelous. Let's hear it. This book is Wanderings, and it has railroad tracks on it from my house where I grew up in Oklahoma. So the first poem I'd like to read is about wandering around the railroad tracks in Oklahoma. I still wander there. Not too sure what it is running through my heart. Makes me keep running back to where I started. Skipping down the red dirt way of memory lane. Trying to find what it is I might have left behind. Could be a word, a smell, or something tasty. Might bring you right back in front of me. I'm expecting you to come walking right back, carrying that sack as we hiked along the tracks. You stand like weathered statues in my mind as it harkens back to those earlier times. When I return, I expect you here to find. Back in the days when candy cigarettes turned to dares of smoke upon the breath, where we dressed in plaid and cowboy hats, roamed for many hours dodging trains. Imagine that. When we swung from the rafters of the rail house, bouncing upon mattresses as though we could fly. We trekked beyond our clona homes and out, fleeing to the freedom of the fields and hilltops, where we climbed up the hay bales to reach the sky. The pavement said dead end, but we just couldn't yield. We gathered in a circle on some dusty farmer's field, held our hands up in a pledge to save this very earth, and saying, this land is your land, without knowing every verse. Wow. Very evocative. It even brought back to me my very, very urban childhood. All its sights and smells. You came to Oklahoma from Germany, where you were born, is that right? Yes, I, I was born in Germany. I lived briefly in Texas and Louisiana, and then my father was stationed in Enid, Oklahoma. And you lived in a bilingual home? Yes, my mom spoke German. And you spoke with her? Yes. So your interest in language, you had a very early start in experimenting with languages. Yes. And I noticed that you have a proclivity for rhyme. Yes, I do. Has that always been true? 
I've always loved music. I've always loved poetry ever since I could remember. And I love making things up. So what other poems have you made up? One of my biggest influences was listening to uh, the music of the 1960s. I grew up in the 90s. I didn't really like the music of my own generation very much. So the Marin County Fair had the 60s as a theme, and I tried to put myself back there. And I ended up winning first place for this poem called The 60s. We were more than just hippies, artfully clad in paisley and beads, dancing in circles, hugging trees. For in these short years, we brought about revolutions peacefully. We made pilgrimage to North Beach and Greenwich Village and settled in the hate, making music about this world's fate. Joining hands, united by songs, we dreamed of a time where we all got along an evolution of humanity where each and every soul could live free. As we lazed upon the grasses, we took every journey of the mind, sought out all the truth we could find, rediscovering ancient spirituality while forging the way for a brand new reality. We explored traditions beyond our families, seeking out new ways to be, loving, living communally, Surrounded by nature's endless beauty, we marched together in harmony, people gathered as vast as the sea, fighting for our brothers and sisters to be free, free from Jim Crow's tyranny. We stood up against an unjust war, questioning just what we were fighting for, linked our arms together with strangers, united for justice and peace. As a generation came together, to change this great nation forever, inching closer towards the dream. Well, I lived it. I lived the 60s. And do you feel like that that's true, that the 60s brought about a revolution? I believe it started one. And how do you feel we're at where now? We still have a long way to go. <laughs> yes. Well, fortunately, you are a poet laureate, so that gives you a lot of opportunity to push these ideas forward. How has that been to be poet laureate? It's been fun, but it's also been a lot of work. For example? Uh, I really enjoy being invited to events to perform. And I really enjoy writing poems for other people. For other people? You mean for other people to listen to? To listen to or to support their causes. Oh, I see. And what's the hard work then? This is all the stuff you enjoy. The hard work is having to answer a lot of questions about poetry. Oh, being expected to be a great professor. Yes, when I am just a writer. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but you're a very good writer. Let's hear more of your poetry. Thank you. The next step of my journey was when I joined my synagogue, and I was encouraged by some very talented musicians, especially one named Dan Nichols. And I wrote this poem as a thank you to him, and it's called Master of Peace. After the world slowly broke my heart into tiny chips of dry paint, you handed me a brush and called me a masterpiece, and I was wise enough to believe you. We aren't always that wise, but how wonderful. True. Then I moved to Vallejo, where I started seeing parallels between the art scenes that I'd studied in books 
and the beauty of what is going on around me. And I wrote this poem, Parallels, to express that. We are all drunk on stories. A romanticized past, passed down from legend to novice. Cosmic conversations of conscious comrades creating converts. Remembering, recreating, reconstituting the ingredients of magic histories of some past beatnik bohemia that we wish we'd lived. Blurring these with the memories of the heights that we've reached. Creating new mythologies blended with our dreams searching for alignment, and we are left awestruck upon arrival. So tell us a little bit about Vallejo, California. I love this town because I see the world in this town. I get to meet all kinds of different people. I get to learn from all kinds of different people. And I get to be friends with all kinds of different people. And I don't see that in a lot of other towns. So I find this town to be incredibly beautiful. Do you have any poetry about Vallejo? I wrote this poem when I became Poet Laureate, and I performed it for the city council. It's called Visions. No photo can quite capture this moment's true beauty, for moments, like all people, were meant to be free. Words, they fail to pinpoint just what this place means to me, for words are but stardust, in this universe full of dreams. How wonderful to have landed in this corner of the earth where the streets are lined with stories of history and rebirth. To your visions of our metropolis, to what she was, is, and can still be. Vallejo, I am grateful to be a voice among thee. For together we form a chorus praising our beautiful city. It's interesting that you see Vallejo as a beautiful city. So many see Vallejo as a suburb. True. Well, I tend to be kind of an idealist, so <laughs> I try to look for the good. I, I recognize the bad, but I try to look for the good. And also, you keep your poetry very accessible. I want it to be understood by anybody who might possibly encounter it. It's the kind of thing that you instantly can understand. It doesn't demand dictionary searches or great historic knowledges. And that's one of the things that I really have appreciated about it. It's very welcoming poetry. Thank you. So what other poems do you have to bring? I would like to read you my favorite poem that I have ever written. Oh my. And this was influenced by listening to a lot of folk music and also reading the news and being so saddened by the news and wanting a solution. It's called Headline Antidote. Be a rebel for righteousness, a leader for love, a troublemaker for the truth, not a hawk but a dove. There's more than one way to be a human, so many ways to understand. Join all your hands together and march across this land. Be an agitator for awesome, a hustler for the heart, an outcast for open-mindedness. Whatever you do, just start. There's more than one way to be an American. Patriotic pacifists, no weapons in our hands. Here's to building better times. Yes, you know that we can. That's your favorite poem, and that seems to sum up you. Yes, <laughs> very much so. Yeah, that it, it offers leadership, 
and it it offers very accessible paths to everyone. Thank you. So, how do you see your rest of your term, and when does it end? My term will end in September of 2019. The biggest project that I'm working on is getting this chapbook together, and I really want to shine a light on all the talented poets that I know. What is this chapbook about? This chapbook is about Vallejo, but I've also received poems that are themes of love and loss and and peace and war and the entire experience of humanity. Diane, I have here some of your ten books, not all, but I'd like you to tell us something about them. It all started with this book, Tea and Sprockets. This took me 15 years to put together. It's mostly childhood poetry. And it was a dream of mine since I was 11 years old to publish a book. And then I met my musician friends who encouraged me to keep going. And it kept going from there with uh, Abundant Sparks and Personal Archaeology, which is very spiritual poetry, because I was very involved in my synagogue at the time that I wrote this. I want to go back to that tea and sprockets. That title, what does that refer to? This refers to the fact that there's two ways that the mind can work. You can be very calm, or you can be having rapid thoughts and kind of stream of consciousness poetry. And I write in both states of mind. So the tea is the kind of meditative, slow, thoughtful poetry, and the sprockets is the rapid stream of consciousness. Okay. And abundant sparks and personal... Oh. Archaeology. Archaeology. Abundant sparks. Sparks are very um, pertinent in Judaism. There's a belief that the world is broken and we have to do good deeds in order to put it back together. So there are abundant sparks in our good deeds. And that's what that came from. And personal archaeology was my digging into my past to find inspiration. Look, mono hands is about taking a leap of faith to really believe in yourself after a lot of hard stuff has happened to you and to keep going. So it's leaping. Poet Loiter is where the political poetry started. I love that title because you're the Poet Laureate. Correct. So to see Poet Loiterer, it was very funny. <laughs> At the time, I never expected I would ever be a Poet Laureate. <laughs> it was just unheard of in my... Oh, that, yeah. that wasn't written when you first became Poet Laureate? No, this was written in 2015. Oh. And it was kind of a joke between my husband and I that I'm not a Poet Laureate. I'm a Poet Loiterer because I just kind of sit around and write poetry. <laughs> so. So then it was quite a surprise that you became the Poet Laureate. Correct. I did not expect this at all, and I'm grateful for it. So tell me about this book. This book is primarily my uh, political responses to the 2016 election and what led up to it. But there's also a lot of humorous poetry and a lot of personal uh, poetry as well. So I tried to keep it a little bit diverse. And I was listening to a lot of old folk songs from the 30s and previous and the 60s, and that kind of influenced how I went about it. The next one is Id Biscuits, which the Id is the inner child. So I drew a lot of inspiration from my childhood in this book. And the Biscuits? The Biscuits, was, I was just trying to make a joke. <laughs> so Biscuits is probably just little nuggets of, of my childhood. This book, Barefoot in the Sanctuary, is primarily inspired by hiking out in the wilderness. And so this is my feet standing on top of a mountain after I'd hiked quite a ways. 
And it's also spiritual poetry as well. And the last one. This is resting on my laurels. It's a joke meant to be irony because I've been so busy as a poet laureate that I can't possibly rest on my laurels right now. And this is, the cover is uh, Vallejo in front of the alibi clock. Because I love the story behind that clock. What is it? There were some activists who were arrested back in the early 1900s. And they were freed because of a picture of this clock. What happened, there was an explosion in San Francisco. And they were framed for this explosion because they were activists. And so this, this clock was one of the things that freed them. And now it's in downtown Vallejo. You mean there was a picture of them under the clock that showed that they couldn't have been at the scene of the crime? Correct. Oh, wow. Correct. I've seen that clock downtown. I didn't know that story. Yeah, wonderful it's, story. It's wonderful. So um, I posed in front of that clock, and this book contains all of my official Poet Laureate poems that I've written since becoming Poet Laureate up until March of last year, as well as a bunch of other personal poems. So when you say your official poet laureate poems, you mean poems that you wrote for civic occasions? Correct. Well, that's quite a few. How many pages is that book? So how do people get your books? Well, folks can find my books uh, at online re retailers such as Amazon.com. I also have a few of them available at the Benicia Bookshop. And you can find out more information about me at PoetryEbook.com. PoetryEbook.com. Or DianaLangPoetry.com. DianaLangPoetry.com. And now the secret is out. What the DL stands for. Diana. Lucille. Oh. Now it's all out there. It is. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, this has been very inspiring. Thank you. And I want to thank you for being on our dialogues and participating in the dialogues and doing the wonderful work that you do to bring forward the poetry in our community. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. Oh, a pleasure. I wrote a review recently about one of Jack Foley's new books of poems, Grief Songs, that I want to share. Jack Foley's moving new book of poems, Grief Songs, could be as well titled Love Songs. Love sings throughout the fresh anguish of his loss when Adele Foley, his wife of 55 years, passed. During his months of tearful mourning, Jack writes in many familiar Jack Foley-esque ways. One is to insert his own lines into other people's lines, as Vietnamese do between poet friends. Another is his use of repetition. He loves to repeat his lines, meant to be spoken by a second voice. Most frequently in Jack's poetic life, that voice has been haiku poet Adele Foley. Together they perform such poems for years as a duet at poetry readings. Repeating creates its own rhythm and melody. The contrast of the two voices creates a harmony. Grief song pulls the reader into over half a century of the Jack and Adele Foley universe 
that includes a son, Sean, who later marries Carrie, and they, too, find their way into the poems. Jack and Adele created a cartoon universe of Delwakia, where they played, leaving each other notes and drawings, inventing imaginary comic characters, and even giving themselves Delwakian names like Del Del and Jackwack. Through grief songs, the reader enters this charmed and intimate realm. We become part of it and part of their community. Community is what this deep volume creates. Friends, poets, and poet friends' poems respond to Jack's touching laments. These poems are woven in to the poems written to or about Adele. Adele's own poems or excerpts interlace with them to form a web of words. The whole community is touched and joined in a network of love. Love that is reborn in the closing poem, Yarhites, the Hebrew word for the one-year anniversary of a death, is how it ends. Jack writes, Yarhites, June 27, 2017. It is what the Jews called Yarhites, a year since your death, a word stings. If you retain any consciousness of the world, you know that I have found a new love. She has been a wonder and a comfort in my grief for you. I think you would have liked her and mothered her. Going through your dresser drawer as we attempt to find room for her things, I found a fancy, almost comical, sexy garter. I had forgotten it, but recognized it immediately. You wore it once on the night of December 21st, 1961, our wedding night. You kept it as you kept many other things for all those years. How we formed each other, how we treasured each other's hearts. If the stories are true, you may be in bliss. While I find my way through this quivering wall of sorrow and tears and love, my first love, my dear first love, it has been a year. Has it been a year? Yarsight. Your ashes remain in the vanishing morning light. Grief Songs is published by Meniscus Press, and it's an inviting little book format. The size of one delicate, strong hand, it's a small volume to pack into a poet's bag or a pocket. So light, you can hold it with one hand while reading, relaxing, and resting. It has a lovely cover. It's a courageous and beautiful collection of poems about life, love, loss, bringing rich and healing rewards. It's available through Sagging Meniscus Press. That's SaggingMeniscusPress.com. Read, feel, listen, and enjoy. This next section of poems chronicles the year 2017 in retrospective as reported to me and to you through my poems. On January 11th, my brother died, a painful beginning to a new year. 2017, for my beloved brother, Philip Serrano, 
will go no more a-roving, Lord Byron. I was shocked and grieved as I disembarked from the ferry to see the long line of people waiting to board, knowing that even if I carefully scanned all their faces, I'd never find my brother among them again, like I did that precious day, when I heard him surprisingly call my name and I slipped into the line next to him in delight that we were now neighbors, his house standing only blocks from mine and could unexpectedly sail home together. On the boat, we launched into endless conversation, plans for artistic collaborations, long walks, fantasies, and projections spun over the noisy, whirring ship's engine all the way to Vallejo's shore. We said goodbye, confident of countless days ahead. But death came suddenly. His heart stopped, but not my expectations of our endless siblingness. So I went into shock and grief as I disembarked from the ferry to see the long line of people waiting to board, knowing that we will go no more a-sailing, a-sailing o'er the bay, though my heart be still as eager, and there's so much more to say. As time progresses, I go through grief and write in the night, awake in the dark. This morning, so early, it feels like night with its cold darkness and silent bodies sleeping in the house. I accept this pain of grief, this part of love that brings relentless, reoccurring sorrow and loneliness. Oh, how much I wish for dawn's early light and the chatter of birds awakening out of the dark windows, the stream of silent traffic, headlights winding down the distant hills like an endless snake, insisting that life moves on with or without us. That poem was followed by Love Comes. Love comes in moments, passing in and out of consciousness, sustaining me through the witnessing of an orange president, dismantling the state and lying without the grace and subterfuge of all the other presidents I've experienced. I never see polar bears or elephants, but I feel their absence as they go extinct, knowing humanity may face a similar fate. I find the great hair on my grandson's beard, the first, and I know my time is running out. Yet, love's resilient, creative power brings me delight. I love it. I love to laugh. I love to sing. And the songs keep humming through my mind. My friend falls in love, and his hope reborn. This love sustains us all. Anytime one of us shows our love it renews my faith in joy, liberation, and the reclamation of balance. Every day of 2017, people in the United States were bombarded with messages and tweets of hates and threats of war from the new appalling government.
as artists mobilized to resist, I recognized that love becomes the only defense. Think about Alice Walker, prolific writer, global activist, whether she's urging us to preserve this vexed paradise or to simply stay conscious of the importance of beauty. Alice is always encouraging us to honor the divine in each of our souls. On Thursday evening, October 18th, starting 730, she will be at First Congregational Church, 2345 Channing Way in Berkeley. She'll read from Taking the Arrow Out of the Heart, her new book of poems printed in both English and Spanish to express her love and all sane peoples of both people, both cultures. Nina Serrano, poet, writer, and KPFA host, will appear with Alice. This KPFA benefit is wheelchair accessible. Tickets available at brownpapertickets.com or supportive independent bookstores. Treat your inner self. Hear Alice Walker with Nina Serrano, October 18th. KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. And the time is 4 p.m. Stay tuned to Hard Knock Radio.